Thanks for being here tonight, and uh, glad you came out. And uh, some of you, how many were here this morning? Quite a few. Okay. Carl, glad you were here today, this morning. Um, it's, uh, so you kind of know uh, what you're in for, uh, and Carl's got a great amount of knowledge. We've asked him to share tonight on uh, a Richard Dawkins and responding to some of the uh, uh, points that uh, Richard Dawkins, who's part of a, just one person, but kind of part of a group, a little bit of a leader of a group kind of called the New Atheists and uh, groups that kind of arguments that try and, um, uh, that Christians need to be able to answer, really, is, is the bottom line. <laughs> um, you know, and we talked this morning about, uh, as Christians, uh, we want to be able to think and think critically, and that's uh, what's important. And so that's one of the reasons we uh, asked Carl to come. Uh, you may or may not agree with some, all, or none of what he says. That's not the point. <laughs> the point is thinking about it, listening, and saying, and if you don't have, uh, maybe haven't thought about it, or maybe it's something you look at and you say, well, I don't have a response to that question. Maybe tonight isn't, you know, you, maybe you get an answer, or maybe you don't, but at least to leave here tonight and say, you know what, I need to think about that. I need to find the truth and the answer to that question. I went to uh, the place I went to, undergraduate college, Evangel University. Their motto was, all truth is God's truth. And, uh, and I believe that, that the, God is the God of truth, and we don't have to be uh, afraid of seeking out the truth and the answers to questions. So that's part of why we're doing this. T- one of the reasons we did tonight is because on a Sunday morning, you don't get a lot of Q&A time, don't get a lot of interaction. So Carl is going to do some sharing. He's got a presentation for sure. Um, but we want to also allow for some time for some question answers and some uh, interaction as well. And he's very comfortable with that format. Uh, but let me open up in prayer, and then I'll turn it over to Carl. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. I thank you, God, uh, that you are, um, God, that you are good and that you are loving. And, uh, Father, I thank you for everything that you've shared about yourself with us, because we would know nothing about you had you not chosen to reveal yourself to us. And we're grateful for that, Lord. I pray, God, that tonight you would uh, open our hearts and our minds, Lord. Help us to think and share uh, and listen. Uh, Tonight, Father, we want to grow in our understanding of you and the wonderful world that you have created, Lord. So I pray that you guide us, speak to us, give us ears to hear tonight, and uh, bless Carl as he leads us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening. It's not going to work. Good evening. Thank you. Um, now, I need to, Pastor said how many were here this morning. I need, I, I've got one more question. How many are not here this morning, or this evening that we're here this morning? That's a test. Just seeing, okay. Because those are the really hard ones to reach, okay. Um, I will say this, Pastor, and I'm not trying to correct you, but I am not comfortable with the Q&A format, to be real honest with you. I'm not. I do this with fear and trepidation. I do this. I, I mean, I, I, that is just totally dead straight honest with you. Um, I don't do this because I had a desire to do this. I'll be real honest with you. I was forced into the speaking. My boss at the ministry that I was with before, I finally talked him into going to Japan. My wife's Japanese, and I said, man, the Japanese need to hear this message. He said, I'll only go if you go because you know the language and the culture. So my wife and I went over. He was coming from Australia. 
I got to Japan. We set everything up. We're waiting. His flight, uh, flight arrives three hours later. He's still not there. This was pre-9-11. So I walked back through security, and the rotator conveyor belt was going around. His bags were sitting right there, and security comes running up to me. What are you doing? I'm like, where is that guy? I've been waiting for him for three hours. Go outside. Go outside. We'll have him call you. So I went outside. He calls me, and it's like, they're not going to let me in the country. I was like, what do you mean they're not going to let you in the country? He was an Australian citizen living here on a green card. Um, when he had t- checked with Qantas and when he had checked with a travel agent in the United States, because he was in America on a green card, they told him he didn't need a visa. Well, guess what? When he got to Japan, he needed a visa. So they were going to put he and his wife in a, uh, under arrest because the last flight was out to go back to Australia. It was gone. So they were going to put him in jail overnight. And I'm like talking to the police saying, look, you can't do this. Okay, what, what options do we have? Well, if you pay for a hotel and a guard to sit outside of his room... He can stay in a hotel tonight, he and his wife. We emptied our pockets. It's not like I'm a big spender, okay? Between the two of us, we had $800. We were going to be there for 10 days. It was $800 for that hotel room. Yeah. So we gave it all to the police, and, uh, and then I said, can I spend some time with him? No, you can't. Come on. I mean, come on. We're paying $800 for a hotel room. Can I talk to the guy? Five minutes. I walk in the hotel room. I'm like, what are we going to do? You're supposed to start speaking tomorrow. It's a 10-day trip. He took, this is how long ago it was, the overheads out and gave them to me and said, you know the message, go do it. That's how I started speaking. I was never trained. It was never planned. It was never a desire. Just not anything that I ever thought I could do. Um, Take a look at this table here. It's kind of an interesting thing. This is one of the things I really try to do with this younger generation. I want to teach them to critically think, to look closely at things, because we live in a world that can really throw stuff at us that looks good, but in the end, it really isn't. Um, what is that? It's a what? It's a globe. I mean, look at that. Come on, Carl. Duh. What a dumb question. I mean, look at that. You got this. You got that. It's a globe. Well, this is a part of the thing that I say. Remember this morning I told you I like to teach the younger generation, question the question, because that's not a globe. It's a picture of a globe. And if you're going to know if it's real or not, you're going to have to get up and touch it. You're going to have to feel it. You're going to have to really look at it. You're going to have to wrestle with it. Don't take what you hear me saying and think that you're going to walk out of here with some sort of truth. What I say to you tonight is hopefully a catalyst to challenge you to start digging for yourself. Now, there is some things that are real on the table. So let's take a look at something else here. And uh, then I'll ask you guys a question. You tell me if uh, the, let's look at the glasses. Let's take a look at the glasses. You look closely. Are the glasses real or not? Who says the glasses are real? Who says the glasses are not real? Hmm. Hmm. Well, guess what? The glasses are, in fact, real. You win. Most of you are right. Praise God. Good job. You are looking very closely. But there's one problem. The glasses are real, but the table's not real. I'm going to make a really important point to you tonight. Satan is the king of deception, and he doesn't play fair. He doesn't have to play fair. Richard Dawkins is a pretty mean-spirited guy. I mean him no disrespect. I mean him no harm, nothing like that. But he's a pretty mean-spirited guy. And a number of years ago, he went into Washington, D.C., showed up with a film crew, walked into an office for Concerned Women for America, and he ambushed a lady named Wendy Wright, who was the president of uh, Concerned Women for America at that time. 
And he just ambushed her, just boom, got it on film, ambushed her. And she stood up and she, she went with it. It's over like an hour and 40-minute interview. I mean, it's, it's pretty grueling. And he's rough. When I saw that, I said, you know what? Can I answer those questions? What if Richard Dawkins shows up tonight and he grills me for an hour and 40 minutes? How would I do? So I got in and started digging. Because I guarantee you this, if Richard Dawkins is asking a question, there are thousands of others that are asking that question because he's a face for a movement. He truly is. If he's asking it, lots of others are asking it. Uh, But while I do this, I also like to identify tools that are used to get us to doubt. How many churches are there across the nation of America? 400 plus thousand churches across the nation of America and Christianity is almost invisible in the culture. Why? Well, there's some very specific tools that are being used. I identified one this morning, doubt. We'll talk about that again. But another one that is used, quite frankly, is condescension. When I get with the younger generation, and I did this the other night, and I ask them a question, and they answer, even if they get the right answer, what? You what? And all of a sudden, you see them shrinking back. You believe that? Shrinking back. Because condescension as a minimum, what it's doing is causing a generation to become quiet. It's used very effectively. Every, for the last year and a half, every college group that I have worked with, I've asked a question. How many of you in here, how many watched the movie last night with us? How many? Okay. I ask every college group that I get, how many of you in here, day one in your college class, You walk into a professor, and the professor says, are there any Christians in here? And if a hand goes up, you get one of these are the three responses that I've heard. Pick your books up. Get out of here. I'm not wasting my breath. It's common. Number two, we'll see about that by the end of this semester. Or number three, okay, and then your rest of the class is a living hell. I have not had a college group that has not raised their hand and said, yes, I have that professor. We did a debate last year with one of those professors. His name is Hector Avalos, University of Iowa. He is a nasty, mean guy. These questions and these tools are being used against a generation. So identify them. Be prepared for them. That's what I do with this younger generation. I challenge them. I confront them. I put them on the spot. A week This last week, I've been with 104 kids at a camp. Guess what we did? Protagonist, antagonist. You got questions, bring it up here, defend it, give an answer. And it was so funny to see them going back and forth. And at some point, it was really neat because the guys who had been asking the questions and were getting confronted, it was like all of a sudden, oh. So they came over here and they started answering questions. You would see them swap. It was just amazing to see guys that start wrestling through these issues. So... Let's wrestle through some. But let me give you a, a picture of what I mean by condescension. Where, where did you study science? Hmm. Wendy Wright, what business do you have of talking about science if you don't have a PhD in science? Carl Kirby, you don't have a PhD in science. What gives you the right to talk about the things that you talk about? Oh, let me, uh, let me understand correctly then. So in order for me to talk about something, I need to have a PhD in it. Then, sir, may I ask you? It's a simple, honest question, not trying to be disrespectful. If you need to have a PhD in order to talk about something, where did you study the Bible? Do you have a PhD in the Bible? Do you have a PhD in Christianity? Because you sure have a lot to say about the Bible and about Christianity and about Christians. 
What gives you the right to talk about them if you've not studied them and been in there and have a PhD in it? You see, the question shouldn't be, what are your credentials? The question should be, is what he is saying true and accurate or not? When I go to England, I'm over there every other year. I'm telling you right now, I finish speaking, it's a dogfight. It's a dogfight. Because as soon as you're done speaking, they open it up for Q&A, and you're going to go for a minimum of an hour of Q&A. And you get the folks that come after you. Last time I was there, it was a good one. Remember the, the guy that got beheaded in London by the two Muslims? I was speaking not 15 minutes from there when that happened, okay? And when I finished that night, I had one guy, hand goes up, and boy, he was ready. He was loaded for bear. You're wrong about everything. 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 You're wrong about everything. Everything? Everything. My name's not Carl. Really? I'm wrong about that too? Because you got to keep it light, man, because people are ready to blow up and explode. Great conversation. Just get it going. That's all I want to do. I want get, to get people engaged in conversations. Because what we're called to do is to speak the truth in love. I hope that you don't see me tonight repaying evil with evil. Because Richard Dawkins is not a nice guy. But that doesn't give us the freedom to then come back and mock and ridicule. I will use sarcasm. I'm telling you that tonight. I will use sarcasm because I'm going to try and keep you awake. So, let's take a look at the evidence that he really confronted Wendy Wright with and see if we can't deal with the evidence because that's what it should be about, right? What does the evidence show? That's why I love going to the Harvard Museum. I love going to the Science Museum. Let's look at the evidence. Take a listen to what he does. I'm sorry, but we can show you the evidence. All you need to do is read an elementary textbook of biology. It's all there. Well, that's interesting you should bring out the textbooks on biology. We still have textbooks today. Yeah, I know you're going to talk show... about paper moths and you're going to talk about Haeckel's embryos. No, no. Uh, in fact, what I was going to talk about is the, what they claim to be the evolution of a fetus in the womb yes. based on Haeckel's hand embryos. drawings, yeah. which have been proven to be false, and yet they continue to be published in sci scientific textbooks. Heckel's embryos are just one little thing. It's a Victorian thing. Plenty of people made mistakes in And Victorian. yet continues to be published in today's textbooks. Well, no longer, actually. But, but I don't think it's really fair, is it, to pick on particular Victorian mistakes. It is a Victorian mistake. Oh, I mean, but it was carried over into the 20th date? century. Yes, and that was a mistake, and, and that's been corrected. Um, did you catch the condescension? Read an elementary textbook on biology. I have read an elementary textbook on biology. I've even read the collegiate level textbook on biology. I know that's hard to believe, but I have. Guys, he just told you a bold-faced lie. He just did. That was a mistake and it's been corrected? Really? Okay. Well, either I'm right or I'm wrong. What are they talking about? Maybe you've seen these pictures before. Going back to the late 1800s, 1877, they had drawings. Ernst Haeckel drew these pictures showing that, look, when a child is developing inside the mother's womb, it goes through a stage where it has gill slits like a fish, it has a heart like a pig, it has a tail, it has a yolk sac like a chicken, and it's retracing these steps of evolution as it develops inside the mother's womb. And look, it's, you can't tell it apart from all these other embryos. By the way, that has not been corrected it is still in the textbooks. This is a drawing from the textbook. This shows right here, human, gill slits. You never had or will have gill slits. You don't. 
you have pharyngeal pouches. Those pharyngeal pouches have nothing to do with respiration. But they label it as gill slits. And by the way, tail. You never have or had a tail. Look, if something has a beginning, it also has an end. I, that's just reality. So now you've got the spinal column. At the top of the spinal column, you have the head. At the bottom, you have the, now this is what makes it frustrating, the tailbone, the coccyx. It's not a tailbone. You don't think that's important? Have any of you in here ever fell and hit your tailbone? Did it hurt? You know why it hurts so bad? It's a very focused connection point for all of your muscles. If you don't have the tailbone, you don't walk upright. It's got nothing to do with having a tail. But some babies are born with a tail. Go look at the evidence. Go look at the pictures for yourself. Yes, there is a slab of fat, a fatty thing that comes down. But it's usually, and I can't find one instance where it has not been associated with some sort of genetic defect. Nothing to do with having a tail with vertebrae in it that can move. You will see pictures. As a matter of fact, a guy named Carl Giberson used pictures in a debate with somebody and said, look at this, a child born with a tail and it had a completely functioning tail. The only problem is, is that the picture was photoshopped. You never have a tail. You never had a tail. It's your spinal column. It's the end of your spinal column that then the legs grow and connect to that point. Well, those pictures that were drawn in the late 1800s there they are. Ooh, this has been corrected. Oh, really? It has been. Okay. Oh, one other point. The pictures were fraudulent. The pictures were fraudulent. Those are the pictures right there. Look how similar they all are. Well, things have changed quite a bit. You can now take a picture of the embryo. And let's take a look at the actual picture of the embryo. That sure looks like that. And yeah, I mean, it'd be really hard to Guys, you can look at the actual embryos now, and this whole thing that, oh, that's been corrected? Really? Read your elementary textbook on biology? Here's the college level. Take a listen to what they see in the molecular, or teach in the molecular biology of the cell. Early developmental stages of animals whose adult forms appear radically different are often surprisingly similar. Neo-Darwinian mechanisms explain why embryos of different species so often resemble each other in their early stages as they develop, seem sometimes to replay the steps of evolution. That's been discredited, disproven since the late 1800s. The pictures don't back that up. They're not in the textbook anymore? Well, guess what? Those are Haeckel's drawings, and I just rearranged them. Instead of being horizontal, they're now vertical. This is from the Raven and Johnson textbook. Overlay Haeckel's drawings onto the Raven and Johnson textbook. The drawings are still there. By the way, this man, Douglas Fudiyama, I can give you a bunch more. I can give you a bunch more. I'm just cutting it down. You want more pictures of uh, the biology books that are still teaching it? I got them. It's been corrected? No, it hasn't. Douglas Fudiyama wrote evolutionary biology, and look at the pictures that he used. He knows they're not true. He knows it. Let me prove it to you. Direct quote. As such, if textbooks use the drawings at all, it is a historical example and as a way to illustrate the concept in such a way the students are able to grasp it immediately. Even if the drawings are fraudulent, they can still be used for this purpose because the concept they illustrate is by no means fraudulent. Now, help me out here. Help me out here. I, I want to make sure that I'm not misstating and putting words in somebody's mouth. But you're telling me that it's okay to use fake pictures to prove a true point. 
how about we try something radical? How about we use true pictures to prove our point? Because if the truth is that we evolve from this and we look like that, when I show you the actual embryos, we should look like that. Why are you using fake pictures? It has not been corrected. It is still in the textbook. By the way, tools that are used to get us to doubt, deception. Satan is the father of lies. He doesn't play fair. He doesn't have to. And if you don't get a generation to understand that, they're never going to be able to deal with what's getting thrown at them because he doesn't play fair. So what is the evidence that he really chewed Wendy up with? He chewed her up. And so let's take a look at the evidence coming straight from him. Or even beyond that, surely there'd be at least one a evidence. massive amount of evidence. I'm sorry, but you people keep repeating that like a kind of mantra because you, you just listen to each other. I mean, if only you would just open your eyes and look show at the Show it evidence. to me. Show me, the, well, show me the bones. Show me the carcass. Show me the evidence of uh, the in-between stage from one species to another. Every time a fossil is found which is in between one species and another. You guys say, ah, oh, now we've got two gaps where, there, where previously there was only one. I mean, almost every fossil you find is intermediate <laughs> with something and something else. If that else. were the case, the Smithsonian National His Natural History Museum would be filled with these examples, well, but it, instead it they're is. not. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. It is. The museum should be filled with the evidence. Well, it is. It is. Oh, good. Because now I'm going to go look. Trust me. Why did I go to the Harvard Museum of Natural History? I want to see what you got. I'm not running and hiding. We go deal with it. Oh, did you catch the condescension? You people. You people. And he said there's massive amounts of evidence. Well, I like to see it. Let's take a look at that evidence. Now, uh, listen for a theme. This next clip is a montage, okay? Because this is an hour and 40-minute interview. But there was a pattern as he was going after Wendy. So I want you to listen and, and see if you catch a theme, and then we'll talk about it. Now, in the case of humans, uh, since Darwin's time, there's now enormous amount of evidence about intermediates in human fossils. And we've got various species of Australopithecus, for example. Uh, and these are, I mean, some Australopithecus are intermediate between others and ourselves. Then you've got Homo habilis, Homo erectus. These are intermediate between Australopithecus, which was an older species, and um, Homo sapiens, which is a younger species. I mean, why don't you see those as intermediates? Mm. And I just told you about Australopithecus, Homo habilis, Homo erectus, Homo sapiens. A beautiful, by the way, archaic Homo sapiens and then modern Homo sapiens. That's a beautiful series of You're intermediates. You're still lacking the material evidence. The so material evidence is there. Go to the museum and look so at it. Now, I presented you with, I don't have them here, obviously, but you can go to any museum and you can see Australopithecus, you can see Homo habilis, you can see Homo erectus, you can see archaic Homo sapiens and modern Homo sapiens. A beautiful series of intermediates. Why do you keep saying present me with the evidence when I've done so? Go to the museum and, and look. And I'm not convinced have you seen evolution. Homo have, have you seen Homo erectus? Have you seen Homo erectus? Have you seen Homo habilis? Have you seen Australopithecus? <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about facts. I'm talking about, um, I've, I've told you about certain fossils and Every time I ask you about them, you evade the question and you turn to something else. But I have told you about four or five fossils, <laughs> and you seem to simply be ignoring what I'm saying. And I, and Why I... don't you go and look at those fossils? Okay. Anybody catch a theme? 
What's that? I've told you. I've told you. What did he tell her? Australopithecus, Homo erectus, Homo habilis, Archaic Homo sapien, Homo sapien. Go to the museum and look. Now, why? You can see him getting progressively a little bit more frustrated. Why? She's not, She's not answering his question. I want you to think about this. If I get in a conversation with someone and we're going back and forth and I ask them a question and then they bait and switch on me and go somewhere else, what am I going to do? Oh, no, brother. Come back over here. We're not going out in the deep water. We're staying right here. Because if you won't answer the question that I asked, and I know that I got you, and what am I going to do? I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. That's just the way that it is. You and I know that, Christian or not Christian. If I'm having a conversation and you won't answer the question, I got you. She didn't answer the question. How many of you in here tonight, and this is not disrespectful, you can answer it not with your hand, but with your heart. How many of you in here tonight would feel comfortable giving an answer on Australopithecus, Homo erectus, Homo habilis, Archaic Homo sapien? I guarantee you that the majority of you aren't ready to do it. So you're going to be able to get an answer tonight because I'm going to show you how to answer it. That's what I want you to see. I want you to see what the actual evidence is. Because listen to what he says here. This is vitally important. You said there are no fossil intermediates. And when I told you about fossil intermediates, you changed the subject. I would get frustrated as well. You told me there's lots of errors in the Bible. Give me one. Well, there's lots of them. No, give me one. You're wrong about everything. I'm wrong about everything, everything. Then tell me one thing, please. Give me one specific thing that I was incorrect on. Well, you're wrong about everything. No, sir, I'm, I'm not very bright. If I'm wrong about everything, it should be very easy for you to tell me one specific thing that I was wrong on. You're wrong about everything. Hello, are we talking here? One specific thing. I do the same thing. I do the same thing as him, just from a different angle. I'm not saying it's right, but that's the way that it is when you're having a conversation with somebody. You're telling me I got all these copyrights and mistakes. You can't even tell me one. You're just repeating what you heard somebody else say. How many Christians do that? These quotes, I want you to look at the facts. Don't believe what you've been told that there's no evidence. Just go look at the evidence. I want you to go to the museum and look at the facts and don't believe what you've been told that there's no evidence. Just go look at the evidence. I could sign my name to those. Because that's exactly what I tell every time I get in front of an audience. I want you to go look at the evidence. I don't want you to trust me. I want you to dig for yourself. See if I'm telling you what's true or not. Because when you dig for yourself, then you will speak with authority. Not because you're regurgitating what you heard somebody else say. Oh, by the way, one of the tools that Satan loves to use is intimidation. And he really will use that tool well. So let's break down the evidence. Here we go. Enormous amount of that. This is a direct quote. Enormous amount. You got Homo habilis, or I'm sorry, Australopithecus, Homo habilis, Homo erectus, Archaic Homo sapien, modern Homo sapien. Let's take them one at a time. Best way to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. There it is. Australopithecus. Lucy. Have you ever heard of Lucy? Come on. Who's not heard of Lucy? She is the link, the missing link. I wish you would give me 30 additional minutes. And I would show you the video that Don Johansson, the guy who discovered Lucy, made, because I don't use Christian, I don't use creationist material. I use their material, and we break it down. I would show you the video that they made on what they had to do to turn Lucy's bones, when they found them, the hip looked chimp, but when you go to the museum, you see her standing upright like a human. You need to see the video. No, I'm going to show it to you. Forget about that. Forget about that. 
at least this one video. I got to show this to you because you think I'm lying to you. This is their video. It's used in the public schools to get our t children to believe that they supposedly evolved from an ape-like ancestor. So I'm cutting out a whole lot of stuff on that, all right? But this video right here, they show you what they had to do to turn chimp hip Lucy into human hip Lucy. So here we go. Scroll down here. Oh, I'm cutting so much out on this, but take a... Let, 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 me, let me do this. I'm going to set it up one before, and then so it's just a little bit of effort. This is what he said. Nope, that's not that one. That's what I get for skipping around. Here we go. It's this one. The perfect fit was an illusion that made Lucy's hip bones seem to flare out like a chimp's. But all was not lost. So the bones that they found that they reconstructed made her hips look like what? Did I hear that correctly? A chimp. But you're not going to get famous in the world of paleontology if you find a monkey or find a human. You've got to find an ape-like human. And if you want an ape-like human, you need something that looks like an ape but walks like a human. Well, that doesn't work. She's got hips like a chimp. So she won't walk like a human. So how did they fix the problem? I want you to see what they did. No. You know what? We're early on. You're still awake. So those of you that have not gone to sleep, close your eyes because I don't want you to see. I want you to, hear the, uh, I want you to hear the technology that they used, all right? The technology that they used to change Lucy's hips from being shaped like a chimp to shaped like a human. Close your eyes. Only for three seconds. Take a listen. You can open your eyes. Lovejoy decided he could restore the pelvis to its natural shape. He didn't want to tamper with the original, so he made a copy in plaster. He cut the damaged pieces out and put them back together the way they were before Lucy died. It was a tricky job, but after taking the kink out of the pelvis, it all fit together perfectly, like a three-dimensional jigsaw puzzle. As a result, the angle of the hip looks nothing like a chimp's, but a lot like ours. Let me guarantee you this. When you go to the Smithsonian, when you go to the Harvard Museum of Natural History, you're not going to see that video. Unless you show it. And if you want to show it, I'll give it to you. Download our app. It's free of charge. Oh, you're trying to sell us. No, I'm not. It's free of charge. And on the app, more, scroll down, Lucy video. All of the, and I'm skipping a bunch of the videos. They're there. Guys, when you see Lucy standing upright like this at the Smithsonian with human hand, human feet, you are being lied to. They found no hand bone for Lucy, no foot bone for Lucy. They found some from her quote-unquote relatives that they put on to her, but the, I can give you the secular quotes that the hand and foot bones from Lucy's relatives that they found were more curved than a chimpanzee. Then why do you see a human hand and a human foot on Lucy in the museum? You're being lied to. A human hip. How'd they get a human hip? They ground it. You don't see those videos being shown. What are your children being taught? What are your grandchildren being taught? It's a fact, you fundamentalist hicks. Well, be patient. Give science time. They will catch up to reality. Because if you think Lucy is our link, let me show you the chart that Don Johansson, this is the guy who discovered the bones. I'm not using Christian stuff. His book, he made the chart. You start over here and give it enough time you get from ape-like ancestor to humans, okay? By the way, the skinny line, do you know what the skinny line means? 
no evidence. It's a belief. Do you know what the bold line means? The bold line is actual evidence. It's what they actually found. So, you start here, and given enough time, things change until you get to Lucy. That's Lucy. She's the supposed missing link. Look, last night somebody asked a question, how come we still got apes and gorillas if we evolve from them? That's not what evolution teaches anymore. Apes and gorillas and humans came from a common ancestor. So Lucy is the common ancestor right there. She had the characteristics of both humans and apes. And some of the offspring gradually became more ape-like and some gradually became more human-like. That's what evolution teaches. I'm not saying I agree with it. That's what it teaches. Know it better than the world. Well, guess what? What, what was one of the first things you said? There's various forms of Australopithecus. Isn't that what he said? Guess what? Do you know where Australopithecus is? There, 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 there. According to their chart, this is not a Christian chart, do these ever end up becoming human? They're totally ape. So Dr. Dawkins, why are you using ape skeletons to prove that we evolved from an ape-like ancestor? Those are not in our lineage. Why are you using them to support your position that we supposedly evolved? That's not honest. But most people have never gone and looked at the charts. They don't have a clue. None of those are in the human lineage. And that's not Carl Kirby the Christian. But, 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 Lucy. Huh. You know, they finally got the bones out of Africa. They put them on display in Houston. I was in Shreveport, Louisiana when they had these bones down there. And they were driving children seven hours one way to go to the Houston Museum of Natural History to walk in and see Lucy's bones. And if you don't think a museum in like a church, you don't go very often. They were lining those kids up. Shh, shh, shh. Quiet. Quiet. Now look at it, Lucy. I'm like, dude, she's dead. Why can't I talk? You're not going to wake her up. According to you, she's been dead for 3.2 million years. Shh. Wow. It's monkey bones. And I can't talk because I'm looking at monkey bones? Well, guess what? The same exhibit that brought the bones out of Africa, put them on display at Houston, they made a study guide for the teachers to use for the students that they took through there. This is their study guide. This isn't a creationist study guide. This is their study guide. And I guarantee you the teachers didn't use it. You know why I can say that? Because take a look at what it teaches. We'll go to page 20. And page 20, it teaches this. Come on. Oops. Hit the wrong thing. I got to show this to you. You have got to see that. Got to bring that up. Right here, page 20. For many years, Lucy was thought to be a direct human ancestor. Oh, that's not good. That's not good. Not if you're hanging on to her as a missing link. Was thought to be a direct human ancestor, but we now see her as belonging to a separate group of hominids from those which became our species Homo sapien. What does that mean about Lucy? She's not in the human lineage. According to the study guide that they made for their bones. She's not in the human lineage. You don't like that one? I'll tell you what. Let me give you another source. Jerusalem Post. Lucy is not a direct ancestor of humans. Let me give you another source. Richard Leakey. Have you ever heard the name Leakey before? Man, if you've ever heard anything on evolution, you've heard the name Leakey. Leakey is like synonymous with evolution. Now, 
Richard Leakey made this statement. If pressed about man's ancestry, I would have to unequivocally say that all we have is a huge question mark. To date, there's been nothing found to truthfully purport as a transitional species to man, including who? Since 1470 was as old and probably older, if further pressed, I would have to state that there's more evidence. Now listen to this. I would have to state there's more evidence to suggest an abrupt arrival of man rather than a gradual process of evolving. May I give a possible explanation? God took dust. He formed it. And he breathed into man life and he became a living being. That's about as abrupt as it gets. And when you look at the fossil record, that's what it absolutely supports. Bang. There's nothing, then there's life. That's God. That's not gas changing itself. So, um, according to numerous sources, not just one, Lucy is not in the human lineage. So, Dr. Dawkins, why are you using Australopithecus to back up your position that we've all from an ape-like ancestor? Oh, but, but, there's more. Homo habilis. Now you're in trouble. We have Homo habilis. What are we going to do? We're going to go look at it. There it is, discovered by Lewis Leakey's team. Uh, that's the father of the son. All right? So the father's team discovered Homo habilis. Uh, by the way, anybody remember a quote that we just got done reading? Uh, to date, there's been nothing found to truthfully purport as a transitional species to man, including Lucy, since 1470 was as old and probably older. When they find bones, they don't just give them names, they give them numbers. 1470, originally when it was discovered, was classified as Homo habilis. So what is he telling you right there? Homo habilis is not in the ancestry of human beings. His father discovered it. He says, to date, there's been nothing found to truthfully purport. That was some of the bones. But, Carl, you're not up to date because they've reclassified Homo habilis. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. They classified it to now Homo rudolfensis. So remember that when we get later on in the chart because he's telling you that Homo rudolfensis is not in the lineage of man. So remember that name when we get further on down. Let's go to the Smithsonian website. I don't use Christian sources. Have you noticed that? Go to the non-Christian website. This is the David Koch, K-O-C-H, Hall of Human Origins. I want you to go look at this stuff. David Koch, K-O-C-H, Hall of Human Origins. Discovered by Lewis and Mary Leakey, a team they led. We don't know everything about our early ancestors, but we keep learning more. These are the questions that they've not been able to answer, okay? Let me put this in context. These are the questions that they have not been able to answer. You got it? So what are those questions? Well, one of the questions was, was Homo habilis on the evolutionary lineage that evolved into later species of Homo and even perhaps our species Homo sapien? If you can't answer that question, why are you using it as evidence that we evolved from an ape-like ancestor? That's the question they're asking, not me. If you can't answer it, why are you using it? There's even more. Are Homo habilis and Homo rudolfensis indeed separate species, or are they part of a single variable species, or was one of the ancestor to the other? You can't answer that? If Homo habilis is not the ancestor of Homo erectus, how does it fit in our evolutionary tree? You can't answer that? You're still wondering about that? But you're going to use it as a dogmatic statement that this proves we evolved from an ape-like ancestor, Dr. Dawkins. Let's take a look at their chart. Homo habilis. There it is. By the way, extend Homo habilis out. Would it ever reach Homo sapien? 
Even looking at their chart, it will never reach us. It's not in the human lineage. That's their chart. So much for that one. But now we got you. Now we got you. Homo erectus, upright walking man. Yes, sir, Carl. We saw the skulls yesterday. Or day before. When did we go? Yesterday. We saw them. Homo erectus. Really? Okay, let's go back. Take a look at it. Homo erectus. Let's see him on the chart. There's Homo erectus on the chart. Extend him out. Would he ever reach Homo sapien? By the way, depending on the evolutionists that you read on this, some will tell you that Homo erectus was nothing more than another Homo sapien, another man. So there is some argument on that as well. But according to Dr. Dawkins, he's the guy that found Lucy. He's the expert. I'm using his stuff. According to his chart, Homo erectus would never even reach Homo sapien. Let's go back to the Smithsonian. Use their website again because they're not Christian. And they don't like us very much. So I'll forget about Java, man. That's another thing. We can go down that bunny trail, but let's not go there. Let's just deal with the... Below are some of the unanswered... Oh, you've already heard that one too, right? So here's the questions that we're asking about Homo erectus. Was Homo erectus the direct answer to of Homo sapien, our own species? If you're asking the question, why are you using it as evidence if you don't have the answer? Are the fossils from earlier time periods in East Africa and from Georgia all part of a single species, Homo erectus, regionally variable in size and shape, or are there actually several species of early human represented by what we are now calling Homo erectus? Guys, if you don't have the answer, how can you use it as a dogmatic statement that we evolved from it? Mm, 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 mm. Homo ergaster. He didn't use that. No, he didn't. But I've got the college kids coming after me. For some reason, I don't know what's happened. But what I find is if one person uses an argument, it kind of goes like wildfire. So somebody out there is using homo ergaster. So let me just answer it. This is free with the price of admission. It's kind of an extra. I'll just throw it in there. And you don't even have to pay me anymore. Aren't you guys? What a night. Free stuff and everything. Maybe an early form of Homo erectus found only in Africa as designation as a separate species is debated. Well, if the best you got is something that's being debated, I still feel pretty, pretty good about my position. But wait, there's more. Let's go back and take a look. There's Homo ergaster, discovered by Richard Leakey. Anybody remember that name? Anybody remember that name? The son of the father, okay? In 1984. Oh, anybody remember a quote that I've been giving you? To date, there's been nothing found to truthfully purport as a transitional species to man. When did he make that quote? Look at the bottom right-hand corner, 1990. So six years after he discovered Homo ergaster, the guy who discovered it says it is not in the human lineage. So why are you using that to justify your position? He's the guy that found it. That's not Carl Kirby. That's an old chart, Carl. Okay, let me take you to the latest chart I've been able to find. This is the latest chart. Wow. Lucy, still the common ancestor. Do you see all the little dotted lines? Do you know what the dotted lines mean? No evidence. If you got rid of all those dotted lines, what does that actual evidence show you? That one thing stayed one thing, never changed from or into anything else. The only way that you get this turning into this is dotted lines. Oh, there's Homo ergaster. Homo erectus is not even in the lineage. Go look at their charts. Use their charts. You don't need Christian stuff. Ah, but archaic Homo sapien. Yes, sir. Now we got you. Can't argue with this one, Carl. We've all seen Neanderthal. Man, that is archaic Homo sapien, and you're going to have to deal with him right there. Extend him out. Would he ever lead 
to Homo sapien. Another argument, a lot of people are now saying that Homo, uh, or uh, yeah, it is actually Homo neanderthalensis, he is nothing more than another human. Now, they were unique. There's no doubt about it. Very unique. Uh, muscles were unique, much stronger than people today. Uh, squatter, but, uh, but really pretty much human. But, 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 let's take a look. This is a man that needed a dental plan. There's no doubt about it. He needed a dental plan. I, I will give that to you. When you look at this guy, he had some serious teeth issues. And by the way, look at the eyebrow ridges. Look at how big those eyebrow ridges are. He came from the apes. Look at that. You get those big old eyebrow ridges. Guys, you know one of the worst things about being a guy? The longer we live, the bigger our eyebrow ridges grow. And by the way, if you think having big eyebrow ridges means you came from an ape, I'll tell you what. You tell this guy that. He's a seven-foot-tall professional boxer. And just because he's got big eyebrow ridges, you want to tell him he came from the apes? You go for it. I'm not messing with the guy. <laughs> big eyebrow ridges mean you came from an ape? No. It means you got a big eyebrow ridges. But what about Neanderthal man? Well, let me take you to History Channel. This is not a Christian show. All right? And what did they have to say about Neanderthal man? Neanderthal seems so promising when it's first presented. It seems like it's going to be the answer. But on closer inspection, it starts to fall apart. Most importantly, the key fossils just seem to be too much like humans. Neanderthal, at best, is a man with some ape qualities. What? At best, he's a man with some ape-like qualities? I already showed you one guy. Oh, there's a lot. You know how much variation there is within a human being? Physical size and structure and shapes of heads and all that stuff? By the way, when they first found Neanderthal man, they drew pictures of him, and that's the way they drew it. This is Neander Valley in Germany where they found the bones. Now, I have an interesting question. At least to me, it's interesting. How can you tell how hairy something is from a bone? I got a bone here. Man, he was bald as a cue ball. That boy, man, he has some serious locks going on. You know how hairy the body is because you got a bone? Well, guess what? They even know how long his toenails are. Look at his toenails. That boy didn't need a dentist. He needed a pedicure too. Well, they found more bones later on, and guess what? There's Neanderthal man later on. He's walking upright. Doesn't have all the hair on his body. He's having to wear skins to stay warm. They found even more bones later on. Today, this is the way they depict Neanderthal man. Put him in a business suit, walk him down the street. You wouldn't pick him out of a lineup. Do you know what I find interesting? I've been in this for over 20 years. And one of the guys that got me sold on trusting the Word of God was a man named Dwayne Gish. I saw him debate many times. He had over 500 debates when he finally passed away. He debated anybody. Neanderthal man looks just like Dwayne Gish. I'm telling you, man. He looks just like him. And I mean no disrespect, but I find it interesting that the missing link has evolved into a creationist. I just find that interesting. Well, so much for Archaic Homo sapien. So what's left? You got people. You got apes. Here's another chart. I mean, oh, I already showed you that chart. Look at Neanderthal math. So even according to them, at best. So, let me take you to, Carl, you're just, 
Well, let me take you to the Cambridge Encyclopedia of Human Evolution. Come on now. Is that a big name in science? Cambridge, respected. Am I right? It better be. I paid $55 for this book. I'll sell it to you cheap. I just needed one picture. $55 book. Evolution's a fact. You fundamentalist hicks. Anything look interesting to you? There's 11 of them. You don't need to count them. Guess where they always take place? Here's another chart. Oh, from natural history. You start here, ape-like ancestor. You get people, you get apes. What are you going to do with that? Oh, black stuff, fossil species. Black is fact. Blue stuff is hypothesized evolutionary links. What's that mean? That's your belief. What impacts your belief? What you believe about where you come from. If you believe that over the course of 14 billion years, hydrogen gas transformed itself, you'll look at the exact same evidence that I do, and you'll explain it completely and totally differently. It has nothing to do with the evidence. It has everything to do with what you believe about the past. Let me take you back to the Smithsonian. There it is, Carl. You start down here with Salhanthropus chadensis, and given enough time, you get people. How are you going to argue with that? Give me three and a half hours of your life. That's how. And I will go through every one of those supposed ancestors, what they found and how they were reconstructed. Because I guarantee you, you don't understand what they got from most of those. I'm talking three pieces of a jaw. 17 bone fragments, hear me, fragments. And we know that that 17 bone fragments walked upright because we found a toe bone. The bone fragments were ape-like, but the toe bone was human-like. But what they don't tell you, unless you go digging, is that the toe bone was found... 10 miles away in a different layer of dirt that according to their dating techniques was four to 600,000 years younger than the other. That's a tall dude. You're taking bones from two different dig sites? No, four different dig sites. But the toe bone was found 10 miles away and you stick it on a bunch of fragments and then you got a missing link? Bet you didn't go see that one either and I bet you don't read that in the headline. Well, guess what? You see what they're doing? Same evidence. All they did was slide it down and totally rearranged it. Because I didn't like that first explanation. Well, guess what? I don't like that one either. So you know what you do? You just slide it again, and then you come up with a whole total new explanation. That's the best you got. And so I'm supposed to give up on God because you got something that you can rearrange in whatever way that you think it fits. Have you ever seen this comic? They love to use it to make fun of Christians. Big mathematic formula, big mathematic formula, then a miracle occurs, right? And the professor's like, I think you need to be a little bit more specific here in step two. You ever seen that? You ever seen that? I mean, what's going on? There we go. I think you should be more explicit here in step two. You Christians, all you have is your faith. All you have is miracles. Oh, really? Humbly, may I? Let's go back to their chart. Let's get rid of the skinny line because that's just story. Let's just deal with the evidence. And sir, Dr. Dawkins, with all all humility, I think you need to be a little bit more explicit here, a little bit more explicit here, a little bit more explicit here, a little bit more explicit here. Every one of those question marks, every one of those dash lines, every one of those connectors, I think you need to be a little bit more explicit if you want me to buy in. I don't think that's disrespectful. I think that's the truth. You don't have a PhD. I don't. I used your pictures. How am I wrong? 
There's got to be more. Come on, Carl. He had to have more than just that. Oh, he did. He had a whole lot more. So let's just take one more little piece, and then we'll have to finish up. Look at the evolution of the horse. Look at the evolution of the elephant. There are evolution of the whale. There are so many beautiful stories. I mean, you'd be fascinated. You, you would think that these fossil histories are to the greater glory of God. If so only you go and look it, at them. Let's look at them. Because Harvard has got the evolution of the horse. There it is. Almost every textbook that I've seen, every museum that I've gone to, has the horse evolution. Well, here's the truth about it. Well, it started with four toes. It evolved three toes. Then it evolved into one toe. There's only one problem. This picture that we have grown up on, that we have seen in the museums, the problem is this, is that that, the most famous of all horse trends, gradual reduction of the side toes, is flatly fictitious. Here's my $65 book on horse evolution. I'll give you a package deal with the human evolution book. All right? Here it is. You fundamentalist hicks. You start down here with a groundhog, and given enough time, you get the horses. Do you notice the dash lines? Why do they have all the dash lines? Because the evidence doesn't work. Since the late 19th century, horse evolution has been depicted as starting with a small, multi-toed, leaf-eating ancestor that, depending on the source, was either one of those, Eohippus or Hyracanthium. Contrary to simplified depictions, though, paleontologists discovered and described many specimens of this type of mammal, creating an awful tangle of names and attributions. Paleontologist David Froelich published a reanalysis of many of these fossils in 2002. He found that there was actually several distinct early horses hiding under these names and also several animals that were not horses at all. Now listen to this quote. This is interesting. The record of evolution is still surprisingly jerky, and ironically, we have even fewer examples of evolutionary transition than we had in Darwin's time. By the way, how many examples of evolutionary transition did they have in Darwin's time? Zero. Okay, I'm not a math major. If you've got less than zero, isn't that like negative numbers? So how do we get into proving our position when we have negative numbers? I got negative three evidence. Well, I got negative one. So negative one beats negative three. In Origin of Species, Charles Darwin said that the way that we got the whale is the bear went back into the ocean to evolve into the whale. That was one of his evolutionary transitions. Do you understand that the vast majority of information that's in the origin of species is no longer accepted within today's explanation of evolution? Only the mechanism. The mechanism is still accepted, but the examples that were used, vast majority, vast majority, not accepted. Continues on. By this, I mean that some of the classic cases of Darwinian change in the fossil record, such as the evolution of the horse in North America, had been discarded or modified as they've gotten more information. So when you see the horse evolution being thrown at these kids, it's not as nice as you're being led to believe. Now, I have to show you this. It's a sad thing. I've been doing a lot of study, a lot of study, and I've actually found that there is evidence for evolution of the donut. <laughs> I've got to share it with you because there's only two ways that we got a donut. Number one, man made it. But my research has shown differently. They were not made by man, they evolved. And here's how they evolved. Approximately 65 million years ago, we got a lump of dough. Where'd the lump of dough come from? I don't have a clue, but it came from somewhere. And some of those lumps of dough had mutations and they became flat and hard and they turned into the cookies. And some of them got puffy and they turned into the bread. And then some of those lumps of dough had a mutation that turned them into a donut. Now that's a plain donut and plain donuts are boring. I didn't spend a whole lot of time studying there. I just did a little bit to work my way up to the good stuff. 
some of those plain donuts had a mutation that then became the sprinkles and the lumps. But those are girly donuts. Those are foo-foo donuts. I don't do sprinkles and lumps, okay? I have a specific field of study. And some of those donuts evolved into the bagel, the bear claw. Now, I do have a minor in bear clawology. I do. I have studied bear claws extensively. And the Cheerio. Now, I can prove to you, I can prove to you that this is correct. Because you see the Cheerio, the bagel, the donut, the bread, the cookie, they're all 98% similar. So they all evolve from the same source. Have you heard that about the human and the ape? Oh, 98% similar. First of all, you are not 98% similar with the chimp. It's not true. I've got a friend. You download the app. Go to the virtual Smithsonian tour. I think it's episode three. He worked with people that worked on the Human Genome Project. And in order to get the human and the chimp DNA 98% similar, they have to insert spaces. They have to insert spaces to make the chromosomes line up. He'll explain the process to you. He is a legit PhD. So I'll let him tell you. But let me just, I'm nice. I'm being nice tonight. We're 98% similar. What's that mean? Does it ever rain here in Boston? Ever rain? When you're driving in the rain, do you immediately pull over to an underpass and wait for the rain to stop because you're afraid that your windshield is going to get busted out by a watermelon? None of you think like that. Oh, you should think like that. You should be afraid. You should be very afraid. Because a raindrop and a watermelon are 98% similar. So one of these days... It's scary. Guys, the 98% that's similar has nothing to do because the 2% that is dissimilar, so dissimilar, there's no way they came from the same source. Ah, but here's my study. The Boston cream-filled donut. Yes, yes, I am loving being here. That is my area of study. Now, let me ask you, Anybody in here, other than the one convert that I already have, accept my explanation of donut evolution. Anybody? Anybody? Another one. Thank you very much. The dues are $100 a month. It's due the first of every month. And you get a free T-shirt. The donuts you have to buy yourself. Most of you are looking at me like I'm a goof. Well, that's besides the point. Do you know what you're laughing at? That is the chart that is used to depict whale evolution. Watch. All I did was take out the skulls and replace them with donuts and Cheerios and bread and cookies. It is the exact same chart. The question marks, the dashed lines, they're all in the exact same place. You laugh at my explanation of donut evolution, but this is science. I don't think so. I don't think so. By the way, do you know what the question marks mean? They have faith. You Christians, all you have is your faith. We both have faith. My faith is in a God who created the way that he said that he did. And if he did it that way, I should see evidence for it. And boy, I look at this building here. You guys are so fortunate that this building it was built next to a concrete factory that had an explosion and put this thing together for you. Man, you are so lucky. You know an explosion didn't do this. You know that somebody had to build this building. You know that. How much more complex is a star? How much more complex are you? 
You think an explosion did that? I won't argue with you. So let me wrap it up. Would, would it make you happy if uh, we were to agree uh, in, uh, that there is some evidence regarding macroevolution? Um, would that alone make you happy, or would you still be unhappy and feel that your cause is unsuccessful if many of us still believe that there is an intelligent being who caused this to happen? Would you feel happy if we admitted in macroevolution? Now, this is where I don't like these terms because it gets confusing. Microevolution, macroevolution, all right? Microevolution means tiny changes. From that process, tiny changes, tiny changes. That's how we got all the different looking people in here tonight. It's a fact. Speciation is a fact. There's no argument about it. No argument about that. We believe that. But microevolution supposedly, slowly, gradually, over millions of years, led to macroevolution, which means that the worm grew legs to turn into a fish, to crawl out onto land, to turn into an amphibian, to turn into a rat, to turn into a wolf, to go back into the ocean to become a blue whale. That is where macroevolution took place. And so her question is, would you... Be happy if we said, okay, we believe that the fish became an amphibian, but God did it. That's essentially what she's asking. It would make me enormously happy. I would love it. If you, if you said, yes, 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 evolution is obviously a fact. I accept evolution, but God did it. I mean, that, that wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't agree with that, but it would make me hugely happy. At least you look to the why? evidence. One of the tools that Satan uses is bold-faced lies. Do you know why it would make him enormously happy if Christians said, oh, yes, we believe that God used evolution? Here's why it would make him extremely happy. When I go to England, I told you, I go there every other year. There's a television show that I go on sometimes. They did an interview with Richard Dawkins, and I just happened to run across this interview. And take a listen to what he has to say. Take a listen. Oops, one more. And was there a particular point that, or something that you read or an experience you had that sort of said, yeah, this is it, God doesn't exist? Oh, well, by far the most important, I suppose, was understanding evolution. Um, I think the evangelical Christians have really sort of got it right in a way in seeing uh, evolution as the enemy, um, whereas the more, what should we say, sophisticated theologians who are quite happy to live with evolution I think they're deluded. I think, the, I think the evangelicals have got it right uh, in that there really is a deep incompatibility between evolution and Christianity. That's why he would love it for us to say, oh, yes, we believe that God used evolution. Because then we're fools. He knows the two don't fit together. He knows it. The biblical account that you have, the historical account in Genesis, will not fit with what they're teaching. Choose you this day whom you're going to follow. You know, I was speaking, I finished, and a lady brought her brother up to me, and we had a conversation. He was a professor in England, and he teaches global warming. And I was like, oh boy, this is going to be good. And we had a great conversation. It was a lot of fun. It really was. And after 20 minutes, 25 minutes, the guy looks at me, and he goes, you're not what I expected. I was like, okay, you can take that a couple of different ways. How do you mean that? He said, well, I just expected you to want to argue and fight with me because I don't think the same way that you do. I said, sir, I don't hate you because you don't think the same way that I do. I spent a long time like that. 
I was confronted to go look at the evidence. That's why I did it. But I don't hate you. I'm not, I'm not angry at you. I said, as a matter of fact, I find it very interesting that a man like Richard Dawkins, he gets visibly angry when he talks to Christians, visibly upset when creation comes up. I mean, he, you can just see it. And I'm like, he thinks we're idiots. We're morons. We're just stupid. And I'm like this. Look, if you came up to me and you said, I believe the moon is made out of green cheese, and you were dead serious, am I going to get mad? Brother, I'm going to pat you on the back and say, man, you might want to go get some help. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to fight. I'm just going to be like, you need some help. I said, the fact that he still gets angry and upset tells me it's a spiritual problem. The Holy Spirit's working on him. There's still hope. I'm praying for him. And I am. I am praying for him. That man and I left. We had a great It was It was fun. We disagreed. That's okay. I got an email from him six months later. He said, Carl, I want you to know this. I met him on a Thursday. He said, I received the Lord the Sunday after leaving you. It was his sister. You know the Holy Spirit gets all the credit. Holy Spirit does that. But the sister had been pouring into this man. I just had a chance to throw a little water on there. But he said to me, he said, you know, you didn't know this when you made that statement about Richard Dawkins. On my Facebook page at that time, I had written, Richard Dawkins is God. To see a man go from Richard Dawkins is God to Jesus is Lord, that's the God that we serve, Christian. He is in the business of taking dead hearts and rejuvenating and bringing them to life. It won't come through an argument. It will not come through a fight. It will come through obedience to God and us just speaking the truth in love, giving an answer why we believe what we say we believe, and letting the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit is going to do. All I'm trying to do to you tonight is put a pebble in your shoe. You think I'm wrong? Show me where I'm wrong. That's all I ask. If you're a Christian, you disagree with what I'm saying, show me in the Scripture where I'm wrong. Because I don't care what Dr. Dawkins says. As a Christian, our common denominator is the Word of God. And if you show me in the Word of God where I'm wrong, I'm going to thank you. But not man's wisdom. Q&A. There we go. That's my best. That's all I can throw at you. Ma'am. I showed you a question, uh, a slide with the three questions. The, uh, the Smithsonian, it's still on there. It's still, it's her, it's, David Coe, Call of Human Origins, is, uh, goes back within the last five to seven years. It was like uh, they put like 20-some-odd million into the Smithsonian to build that Hall of Human Origins. It is the latest and greatest and most up-to-date exhibit on human evolution going. And that's uh, the Smithsonian, their one whole wing is a Hall of Human Origins, and that's their website. Let's say it's at least within the last seven years, eight years. Push it, just, just in case. I'm not real good with dates. But it is the latest and greatest and most up-to-datest. Sir. I do throw a lot at this younger generation. I do, intentionally. Um, and the reason I throw more at them than that they can handle in a single sitting 
is because for the most part, most of them have been raised with Christians who are just a bunch of closed-minded, intolerant, bigoted, opinionated hicks, and they're out of date, and they're just so fuddy and duddy. And so I'm like, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. I want to throw more at you than you can handle, then I want you to go study and dig for yourself. Um, the questions change, but there are some consistent ones. Death and suffering is an absolute consistent one. And let's be honest, it's a tough one. There are so many ugly things going on in our world today that God, sometimes it's hard to understand. And the only way that I can begin to understand that is by looking at the historical account. What did God want for us? What he gave us? He gave us perfection. But because he wants that personal relationship with you and I, he won't force you into a relationship with him. I'm going to give the opportunity to receive or reject. And we're dealing with the consequences of rejecting. There are consequences to receiving. There's consequences to rejecting. We've all rejected. We're all worthy of death. That's it. But in his love and in his grace... He gives us another opportunity, but we're still going to deal with this stuff until he comes again and gives us the new heavens and the new earth. That's not going to appease somebody that's just lost a child many times. So sometimes I just got to love on them. Words can be pretty weak. Um, death and suffering is a big one. Number one with a rocket is homosexuality. I mean, it's just so getting jammed down our throats today. That's, um, And believe it or not, how we got different colored people. That is still a big one with this younger generation. It used to be where the king get his wife, but I don't get asked that anymore because the majority of this younger generation are biblically illiterate and they don't even understand <laughs> who Cain was. But they do wonder how do we get all the different colored people if we go back to one man and one woman. Those, those would be in the top five. Put it like that. Tie up three out of the top five, some sort of order. Sir. How did the dinosaurs fit in uh, into God's creation? God said that um, he's created land-dwelling, air-breathing animals on day six. And the word that's used in there, the beast of the field, it, it means large, non-domesticable animal. And that would be an animal that's very, a very good description of a dinosaur. Um, so they would have lived alongside of man from a biblical historical account. Uh, they would have gone onto the ark because God said two of every seven of some land-dwelling, air-breathing animal went onto the ark. They would have come off. They would have lived for a while, and then they died out. Extinction is what we see going on in our world today. So I, I suggest we didn't start our extinction programs in time to save them. But there are lots of accounts. If you look at other cultures, there's cultures that have all kind of, uh, you know, dragon legends. And many times I think what you see about the dragons fit with what we know about dinosaurs. There's evidence that they have existed within the near past. I showed some of that last night when we showed uh, a lady who was finding dinosaur flesh Red blood cells, blood vessels, bone with no mineralization. That stuff can't last 68 million years. It's impossible. DNA, they're now saying that they're finding DNA, dinosaur DNA. DNA, if you were to cryogenetically store it, to freeze it, it will not last 100,000 years. It's self-destructing. Well, if you're finding flesh, red blood cells, blood vessels, and you're claiming it's 68 million years old, there is no explanation on how it could last 68 million years. None. And the lady who discovered it says there's some unknown process by which this stuff is saved. I say, I got a different answer. It's not 68 million years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where did Cain get his wife? See, you're older, so you're asking that question. You guys know who Cain is. This younger generation doesn't have a clue who Cain is, all right? 
I got to show some pictures on this one because this is one that we got to spend just a second on because, boy, you want to get mocked and ridiculed? Talk about this topic. All right? So where did Cain get his wife? The only way that I know how to deal with this is go to the Scripture and, and let the Scripture talk. Because when I first started doing ministry, I had a guy that came up to me and he said, well, the Bible says that Cain went out to Nod and he found his wife from Nod. Where did that people group come from in Nod? And I was totally stumped. I really was. I was like, wow, I didn't know that. The Bible says that Cain went out to Nod and found a wife from a different people group. So I had to get into the Word of God. And this is what I found when I opened up the Word of God. It says this in Genesis 4. It says that, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden, and Cain knew his wife. Does this say that Cain went out and found a wife from a different people group? It doesn't say that at all. All it says is that he went out and he had relations. He had relations with his wife. So where did his wife come from? How about this? Now it's going to get good. I've been doing this for a while. Genesis 5.4 said Adam and Eve had sons and daughters. So where did Cain get his wife? Sister or close relative? I know, I know, I know. This guy, no wonder he lives in Kentucky. You're telling me that brothers married sisters? You're saying that incest is okay? Hold up. Stick with me. Let me have a shot at trying to explain this. I mean, this is a big one. People mock this one. I mean. Now, if you believe in Adam and Eve, there are a number of other things that you have to believe. Incest is one of them. Uh, because the, the race had to procreate off the uh, children that, uh, that Adam and Eve had. How are you going to deal with that? Here's how I deal with it. God said, rallying cry of every Christian. I don't care what man said. God said. God said we all go back to one man and one woman. How long was that one man and one woman supposed to have lived? Forever. But they didn't live forever. Why? The wages of sin is death. By one man sin, by sin death. They sinned. And so what came into the world was death as a consequence of man's action. So now think about this. You go through Genesis, you go through Exodus, you go through Leviticus. God said Genesis 5, 4, Adam and Eve had sons and daughters. You get up to Leviticus. Leviticus 18 is where God said no more close intermarriage. Leviticus 18. All right? So no more close intermarriage. Up until that point, it wasn't a problem. Why? Because the closer you get to Adam and Eve, would the children have fewer or more genetic mistakes than people today? Fewer. Fewer. Why don't brothers marry sisters today? There's a couple of reasons, but one very good one is because the closer you are in relation to somebody, the more chance you're going to have the same genetic mistakes. We all have genetic mistakes, but the closer you are in relation to somebody, you'll have the same mistakes come together, big problem in the offspring, all right? There's the moral issue as well, but that's another one, the genetic problem. We didn't have the genetic problem back then. So think about this. For 2,500 years, close intermarriage wasn't a problem. But what's taking place during that 2,500 years? Every generation, according to the Cornell University professor, not Carl Kirby, every generation has 100 more genetic mistakes than the previous one. So what's happening? Mutations, mistakes are building up. So prior to Leviticus 18, intermarriage wasn't a problem. After Leviticus 18, God said no more. Now, by the way, you don't like that. Okay, then let me turn it around on you because I'm sick of being on the defensive. I am. You think I'm a goof because I believe that Cain married a sister or a close relative? Then what is your alternative? What's your alternative? What does evolution give you? You, get, you have to get a male and a female human evolving at the exact same time in the exact same place. It wouldn't do any good to get a male and then 100 years later get a female. 
It wouldn't do any good to get a male in America and a female in Africa. You got to get a male and a female at the exact same time. They got to meet each other and they got to figure sex out. Are you kidding me? Male and female procreation is not an easy thing to figure out on your own. All right? First man, first woman. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How you doing? Really? We're going to figure this all out on our own. Did you get rid of incest? You didn't get rid of incest. How do you get rid of incest? Oh, you get another male and another female. And they just happen to evolve at the exact same time in the exact same place. So you have two couples that are procreating so the children can come together so you don't have incest. You can't get evolution of anything anywhere once, much less two to- four times two sexes, and you think we have a problem. And by the way, by the way, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be a jerk. But do you understand what this whole process really is? You've got to get every one of those supposed ancestors that turned into us, you've got to get evolution four times, two sexes, so there's no incest going on with the ape-like creatures, or we all evolve from incestuous ape-like creatures. Yeah, it's ugly. I know what you're saying. And you think we have a problem because we believe in a God that created perfection, gave us the freedom to choose, and we blew it. And we're breaking down. That's exactly what we see. So where did Cain get his wife? Sister, close relative. Yeah. Sir. I put it like this. If you're going to repopulate a planet, you're not sending me. My repopulating days are done. You're going to take my grandson. My grandson's a whole lot smaller than me. Why wouldn't you take the younger ones? All right? Now, but that brings up another question, and this is a common one. How'd they get two of every seven of some 10 billion species of animals on a wooden boat? How ridiculous is that? What time do you want to finish? This is, going to take about, this is going to take about 12 minutes to answer that question. It's okay? All right. I think this is a big question. I cut it out of this morning's talk because, uh, you know, you, you just got so much time. But you better understand something. These pictures that we're showing to our children are having an impact. It's not only the size of the animal that they took on. It's the size of the boat. I have not been in your youth room. This picture got me banned from a church in Florida. I showed it, the whole audience went quiet, and they started looking at the wall. I'm up on the stage, and there's big bushes and everything, and I can't see the wall. I'm just looking at the people, and they're all looking over there. I'm like, what is that? Oh, no, I'm in trouble. I didn't know pastor's daughter had just painted that on their wall. If you have this picture in your church, I'm not attacking you. This is an illustration, okay? Show me some grace. 
But when we give our children these pictures, you don't think they're having an impact? I'm speaking at a youth group. Uh, I know I was doing a church, but they asked me if I would come in and do the youth group before I spoke in the church. They don't have a clue who I am. They don't know what I talk about. So I go into this high school youth group, open it up for Q&A. The first question, I haven't shown any pictures. I haven't told them what I talk about, nothing. Hey, I'm Carl Kirby. Uh, pastor said, you'd like to do a Q&A? Let's go for it. Young lady raises her hand. Her question right out of the chute, she's not seen any pictures that I've shown. How'd they fit the blue whale on the ark? <laughs> I did what y'all did. I thought she was joking with me. And then I looked at her and she was dead serious. I was like, you're serious. Yes, sir, I'm serious. I am so sorry. I'm not trying to embarrass you. These pictures are having an impact. So, the world loves to use this to mock us. Take a look. Now it's time to turn to Genesis 6, 11 through 13, Noah's Ark. Read along. There's no way you can get two of everything on a boat. Animals and arcs is kind of silly. It's just a little far-fetched. And this guy really likes us. Take a look. There's no possible way that Noah could have retained all 10 billion species uh, on a single boat and then distributed them appropriately where the marsupials are all in Australia and so forth. This is just ridiculous. It is so ridiculous, I find it embarrassing uh, for people who attempt to prove that it's true. Well, let's answer that question. How could they fit all the animals on the boat? You guys ready for this? Are you ready for this? Yes. Put your seatbelt on. This is a series of videos I call Debunk. There's a lot of bunk in the world, and they, we, I like to debunk the bunk. Younger generation has a 2.2 second attention span. That's legit. So if you think I'm going to get up in front of them and today, I w they're done. <laughs> they're gone. And you're going to fight to get them back. So I come after them. This is called Debunked. It's, a, it's a six short videos. We're working on number seven. We just finished it. We're animating it. We're working on number eight right now. We're going to answer that question. So put your seatbelt on. I'm coming at you quick. Lots of people say there's no way that two of every known species in the world could fit onto Noah's Ark. You know what? We agree. But the truth of the matter is that the Bible doesn't claim that's what happened. So if we really want to get to the truth of it, we're going to need to see what the Bible really says about all this and then ask three questions. How many animals are we really talking about? How big were they? And how big was the ark? Note takers, this is your last chance. Get your pen and paper ready. You answer these three questions, you'll love it when somebody says how they fit all the animals on the boat. How many animals are we talking about? How big were they? How big was the boat? You answer those three questions, it is not a joke. That was your last chance. Here we go. We answer those, we're closer to understanding the truth. Make sense? Good. So how many animals are we really talking about here? Well, let's jump back to move forward, shall we? Let's take a peek at day five of Creation Week and do a plain reading of Genesis 1, verse 21. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. Jump ahead to Genesis 1, 25, day six, the same day man and woman were created, and here's what we get. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. So there you have a very clear account of the land and sea creatures created by God according to their kinds. Now, take a look at the phrase, according to their kind. What does it mean? Is it the same as species? I don't think so. It's possible that it's closer to what we call families in the typical biology class today, with some exceptions. Keep in mind that species is a man-made definition anyway. Confused? Huh? Let me explain. Let's take the dog kind, for example. We'll call the female dog taken on the ark Bingo, because that's the name of my first dog. Okay, from Bingo and her mate, you can get the various species of coyote, wolf, and even domestic dogs, like the Border Collie, Great Day 
game poodle and so on. You get it? The different species we have now could have easily been generated after the flood from the information already present within the parent kind. So kind isn't the same as species at all. And a plain reading of the Bible teaches that Noah only had to take the representatives of the different kinds of land-dwelling, air-breathing animals. You don't believe me? Take a look for yourself. Genesis 6.20, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. That's as clear as it gets, folks. Simple instructions of what to take and what not to take. And in case we need further understanding of what God meant, he clarifies by telling us what died outside the ark. Genesis 7.22, and in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. Okay, so he's not talking about any sea creatures being on the ark. Not the tiniest seahorse or the largest whale. Because the last time I checked, they weren't swimming around on dry land. He's also not talking about plant life or single-celled organisms or bacteria. No, only things that have the breath of life in its nostrils and are on dry land. All right, I'm throwing a lot at you. i got to make sure you're getting this. Do they have to take Great Dane, St. Bernard, Coyote? No. What'd they take? To the original dog kind. Don't trust me. I'm a Christian. Come with me to the London Museum of Natural History. That's Charlie D's church, brother. I'm telling you right now. We walk into Charlie D's temple, walk in, go two hallways, hang a left, walk down that hallway. Here's an exhibit with dogs in it. All 35 species of dogs we see today go back to two dogs. Hmm, pretty interesting. How about this? House cat, bingle tiger, puma, mountain lion. Did they have to take all of those under the ark? No, what they take? Two of the original cat kind. And I'm talking house cat to bingle tiger. Don't trust me. Dog exhibit, do a 180. Hey, cat exhibit. All 37, some people say 38. Species of cat that we see today go back to two cats, house cat to Bengal tiger. That's evolutionists that teach that as well. I believe it as well. So the question is, how many animals are we talking about? That's a good question. We don't know everything. We weren't there. But we've been able to break it back to the genus level. From the genus level, it would take about 8,000 animals to get everything that we see today. Well, the Bible says two of every. All right, double it. 16,000, but the Bible says seven of some. Let's make it a challenge. Let's increase it to 30,000. That's a challenge. All right? So the question is, could 30,000 animals, ooh, could that many animals fit on a boat? That's a good question. Glad you asked. To answer it, we have to take a look at two more things. The size of the average animal and the size of the ark. Makes sense? Of course it does. Moving on. We can't list every animal, but we've got things from the various bird kinds to the elephant kind, from the various dinosaur kinds to the smallest mammal kinds, and so on and so on and so on. So you take all the young adult animals, because nothing says the animals had to be the oldest and biggest, and you look at all the various sizes we know of today, even from the fossil record, and you do some calculating, you come to the conclusion that the average size of the land animal is actually smaller than a sheep. But let's just use a sheep as the average size for the sake of argument. What's the average size of a land animal? Smaller than a sheep. So not only did we increase the number of animals, we increased the size just to make it a challenge. So the question is, could 30,000 animals the size of a sheep fit on the boat? Oh, how could we ever figure that out? I mean, just, huh. I, mm, I got an idea. Let's do something radical. How about this? How about we go... Back to the Bible. Genesis 6.15. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height... 30 cubits. Genesis 6.16, you shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Using what's known as the small cubit, that makes the ark approximately 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and about 45 feet high, with three decks, a door, and a window. So this ain't no canoe or a bathtub boat with giraffe heads poking out of it. This is a huge, seaworthy vessel. The total available floor space on the ark would have been over 100,000 square feet. The total cubic volume would have been 1,500,000. 18,000 cubic feet, which is about the capacity of 522 railroad stock cars. How many stock cars? 
522. I want you to think about this for a second. You're driving down the road. You come up to one of those ding, 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 ding. Huh? How'd you like to hear that when you got 522 railroad stock cars coming down the road? Right? Do you know how big that is? 5,280 feet in a mile. I did the math. 82 foot long is the average stock car. So divide that into this, and you get 59 stock cars in one mile. Multiply that. That is eight miles of train. 522 railroad stock cars is eight miles of train. I'm telling you right now, I'm doing a U-turn and going somewhere else. (laughs) But we want to show our children the rinky-dinky boat and tell them the story and think we're preparing them to go be missionaries to a world that's going to mock and ridicule. Of course that's why they don't trust it. By the way, do you notice that all I've done is use Scripture, 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 how big, how many, and I let Scripture do the talking. And it's not a joke when you do that. But I still didn't answer the question, could they all fit? Here we go. So we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here, folks. How many sheep can fit into 522 stock cars? Well, just so happens I know the answer. The average double-deck railroad stock car can fit about 240 sheep. Now, that's a lot of wool. So 522 stock cars holding 240 sheep-sized animals each gives us the hefty total of 125,280 sheep-sized creatures that could have fit onto the ark. Remember, we only needed to fit 30,000 on it, and 30,000 is almost two times the already generous estimate of animals necessary to represent all the species we see today. So it's easy to see that with more realistic numbers, there was plenty of room for cages, food, and even fresh water for the duration of the year-long stay that these animals had to be on the ark. And you know what? Ark researchers have studied this too, and I'll let you look that up. So there you have it. Simple reading of scripture, simple math, basic science. This fallible claim against the Bible is debunked. Adios. We didn't get it. It was too fast. Really? Let me see how much you did get, all right? Basic questions. Let's ask some key questions here. How many animals were needed to get everything that we need today, that we see today? 30,000. Oh, so you got that. All right. How big could they have been? Oh, you got that too. Okay, how about this? How about this? How big was the boat? How many railroad stock cars? How many miles? Oh, you got that too. How many animals that size would fit on a boat that size? 125,280. You got a whole lot more than you realize. One more question. I'm done. I'll turn it over. Was the flood a fairy tale? Then why would we ever give our children images that suggest it was? Be careful, church. Images, video, have impact. And if you show rinky-dinky boat, make excuses. Yeah, I know what you wrote, God, but you didn't mean that. It is having an impact. 50 to 88% of the kids raised in the church are gone by the time they're age 18. I was that child. Stand up, sit down, kneel. Stand up, sit down, kneel. Offering plate, Carl goes to the bathroom. Because I had nothing to put in the offering plate, and I always hated when the offering plate went by me. I didn't have anything to put in, so I would go to the bathroom every week. I sat in church pews for 20 years. Would have told you I was a Christian until I was 26 years old. Sitting in a church pew, deader than a doornail. Be careful. Pastor, thank you for letting me be with you. Sir, one more, one more, one more. Sir. Where in the Bible does it give an exact age of the earth? It doesn't. But what it does give us are genealogies taking us all the way back to the beginning. Jesus, when questioned about marriage or a divorce, actually, in Matthew 19, says that Adam and Eve were there from the 
beginning. So Adam and Eve were there from day six on. If you look at the genealogies now, Adam to Enoch, the scripture says there's seven generations. We know from the historical account that Christ to present is a little over 2,000 years. Christ to Abraham was about 2,000 years. So if you follow the genealogies, which is one mechanism, it's not going to give you a perfect date, but it will give you a good idea. Not really. When, you, when you're talking about the gaps, the only place you can place a gap is between Adam and Enoch, seven generations. So we know that's seven generations. Enoch to Abraham is the only place that you could put the gaps in there. That's not a big amount of time. And if you read some really tight, uh, uh, the, the, his, uh, the genealogies in the scripture, it's hard to put anything in there. But I'll tell you what, let me give you gaps. How many years of gaps can you put in there? If man has been on this planet, according to evolution, we've been here for two to 400,000 years, there should not be a place to stand on this planet because we know how to breed extremely well. And if people go back two to 400,000 years, we should have overpopulated this planet. Give me a Bible verse on that. You ask me for a Bible verse, I ask you for a Bible verse. God said that the, the waters covered the highest mountains. How can that be a local flood? No answer my question. You asked me a question, I answered it. No, you answer my question. The Bible says that the waters went over the highest mountains. It was not a local flood. It covered the highest mountains. No, <laughs> you're reading into that. It does not say that. It said that it covered the highest mountains, not in that region, the highest mountains. But that's what it says. By the way, let's let people go and you and I will continue. I'm fine with it. I'll stick here all night, brother, but let the folks, let the folks take off. I want to just be respectful of people. Yeah, so thank you, Carl. appreciate it. Uh, you sharing tonight, and yeah, he's going to stick around. I'm sure there's some questions, uh, and Carl will stick around a little bit more, I think, and talk a little bit more. I think that's true, right, Carl? Yeah? You can stick around and talk? Okay, so he's not flying out till tomorrow. He flies out till tomorrow, so you can stick around, but uh, I do thank you uh, for coming out tonight. As I was talking to uh, Carl earlier today, uh, we were saying, you know, all this stuff is um, important, really important stuff, and we want to think through it, and we certainly shouldn't be afraid to think through it. Um, and, and that's important. That's why we have uh, times like this. But what I don't want to uh, certainly overshadow in any way um, and uh, is that ultimately my hope, my prayer, is that uh, if you don't, that somehow this would lead you to consider Jesus as the truth. Uh, when Jesus walked this earth, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and I, I really believe that, that Jesus was truth incarnate, and it doesn't, uh, in, in that way, we don't have to be afraid to bring our questions to him. Um, but ultimately, if you come to a place where you say there's a creator, but you never get to Jesus, um, I still think uh, that there's more truth there for you to grasp and to go after. Um, but uh, these are important things for us to think through, you know, and some people might say, well, why didn't you have a debate? Why didn't you have one up here opposite Carl and Carl and another one? And, and you can do that. There are certain formats for that and certain times for that. But, the, you know, the way I think about it is we often hear the other side. There is not a lack in our world 
of hearing that the ark wouldn't work, that this is unbiblical, that, uh, that the fossils are, there's not a lack of that. I don't have to, I don't have a problem finding people that will tell me that. What I, what I need someone to help me consider is, okay, what's the other side? Let me think through some of the issues from a different perspective, which is what Carl talked about this morning, and give me something to think about in that way too. Um, please um, consider the questions. You know, even if you don't agree with some of the answers that were given tonight, then you go, dig, find the answers, and make sure um, that you are comfortable with it, and then follow that. But uh, consider the questions critically and honestly, um, and I think that's uh, all that can be asked. You know, I mean, all of these charts and everything, when I look at those, I look at it and I say, well, if I didn't believe in God, I've got to find some way to try and explain all this, and that's the best they can come up with. Um, and so they're just trying to follow and explain things that don't have any other explanation for it. And the question is, is, you know, to consider tonight is God and what he said, uh, a more reasonable explanation, uh, for it. And so follow that, um, if that's what you find. Yeah. George, final comment. Yeah, yeah, and I've downloaded the app, and I've gone through it, and there's good stuff on there, and uh, I'd recommend that to you as well. So let me close in prayer, dismiss you. Carl's got some resources in back, um, and you can stay and talk as long as you like. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for this weekend. I thank you for the time this morning and tonight. And, Lord, I recognize that in this room there are various uh, people on various different places and journeys and spectrums of where they stand with you, what they believe, what they are building their life and their foundation upon. And, uh, Father, I just pray, Lord, I believe in your word that says um, the truth will set us free. So I just pray that each and every person in here, our eyes will be open to truth. And, um, Lord, that we would be... Um, open to uh, hearing and knowing that, Lord, and then building our lives upon what we find. Lord, we thank you for this. I pray for each and every person in here for the week that they are encountering in front of them. Lord, I ask that you would bless them. I ask that you would guide them. I ask that you would speak to them. And, uh, Lord, that you would remind them of your love and your presence in their life. And, uh, Lord, I ask that you go with us as we leave this place. We thank you for Carl, the time that he's spent with us. Continue to bless him and his ministry, the time that um, he's given to us apart from his family this weekend. I ask you to bless him for that and be with his wife, his kids, and his grandkids uh, as well as um, he sacrificed being with them in order to be with us this weekend. Lord, we love you, and uh, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for coming. God bless.